into this Liverpool uh, Professionals Power Panel event. Uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about some issues that we know will be uh, affecting business. Um, I should tell you this is being recorded. So um, if you say anything that you think you shouldn't uh, and you want us to edit it afterwards, we're quite happy to do that. But I'm sure um, that none of you will be saying anything untoward today. Uh, and we've got some eminent solicitors who will be able to guide us uh, on that anyway. Um, so we, we've got um, three people who are going to uh, contribute in terms of some of the issues that we think might be, as I say, impacting on business. There's that connection you were talking about. That's the connection. <laughs> it's the quietest I've ever seen Frank, to be honest. <laughs> I like that, Frank. That's a nice look. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. Gone. Dial back in again. Technology. We'll blame you, Victoria, because you're both on the call. <laughs> I think I stole the bandwidth. <laughs> I'm shout downstairs, tell them it's gone off. <laughs> we'll have to share a screen, won't we? <laughs> um, so, as I was saying, we've got some people who are going to be talking about issues that are impacting on business, uh, and then we'll move into discussion about the Liverpool recovery plan. Uh, Bill and I have been sat on a uh, business leaders group uh, talking with city leaders about that plan and that is uh, on its way to government now so we can talk through some of the issues that are going to be raised with government who are looking for funding for and I know a couple of people on the call today, Denise and Keith certainly, who joined us for a conversation with Mike Henry uh, who has been leading those discussions for that recovery plan for the city. Um, so uh, I'm going to start, if I may, with, with Victoria, Victoria Brown, who is uh, a HR specialist uh, from High Performance Consultancy. Um, one of the key issues, of course, that we've all been um, trying to get our heads around in recent weeks has been this new word that I didn't know existed called furloughing. And there've been additional changes. And I know from uh, the emails that I've been getting, people are still a little bit confused and concerned about what might be the new situation as far as that's concerned. Um, so good afternoon, Vic. Hi, Frank. Sorry, I think I lost you for a little bit then. <laughs> so whatever you've asked, I hope you haven't asked me a question and didn't hear it. <laughs> I think everybody lost me. I think I came off inadvertently. Um, so, so let's just talk about the furloughing situation and what those new changes mean to businesses from the 1st of July then. Okay, so um, I'm glad we've got the call today actually because the H HMRC provided clarity on this on Friday which really helped. So we've got the changes now that have been introduced, it's called a, a flexible furlough now, um, long overdue in my opinion, I think we should have had this option very early on. Uh, what's great about it is now you have got the ability to have people that are on furlough but also bring them back into the business part-time. So to give you an example, if you had somebody say that um, can everyone still hear me? Because I'm still just froze. Yep. Yeah, we can hear you. 
yeah okay right I'll just I'll just carry on then um that's what normally happens in our household <laughs> so you would say be um you'd work say for two days for example if you did a five day week and then the other three days you would be furloughed at the 80% or 100% if you top up their wage what you can do, I mean, what, what is interesting about it, and, and we, we talked about this to our clients last week, is that the 10th of June was the deadline. So if you hadn't furloughed somebody, that was the last date that you could uh, come on to the Obviously now the intention is for the government to try and slowly bring us out of the furlough scheme by the end of October. So I think there was some obviously it talked about the end of the month you needed to have three consecutive weeks of furlough people before that date that's fine you can still bring them back into the furlough scheme from the 1st of July so you have got that flexibility but if you hadn't furloughed them before the 10th of June then you, you're not able to now that date has passed uh, there's, more, there's more flexibility now as well in, in terms of how many weeks so you, beforehand you had to furlough somebody for a minimum of three weeks to be eligible now you can literally furlough them for an hour if you wanted to um however they are becoming stricter in terms of they haven't got any sort of if, if you furlough somebody for one day they don't want 30 days worth of uh, different claims so you've got to at least buy the uh, of a claim for an employee and then um, we've also had we're aware now that we are as employers are going to have to start to make contributions so um, it's fine for, for July uh, in August we need to start to pay um, our, our, our tax contributions and then in September it will, uh, we still have to pay our NI and tax contributions, but then we also have to make a further 10% um, contribution. So the furlough scheme will provide 70% of the, um, the, the contribution. And then in October, it's a further 20% contribution. So it will be 20% that we have to contribute and the tax and NI, which um, you know, for, for a lot of my clients that are in the hospitality sort of uh, sector, that, that has raised as, as you can imagine some real concerns if they're not really sure on on what sort of it looks like for them in terms of, of their opening yet okay thanks Vic it was a little bit of um, cracking up a little bit in the middle of that so if people need further clarification on any of the points that Victoria's made just we will do a rundown at the end and we can go back and ask some questions if that's okay um, no problem. Yeah, let, let me just turn to, to Denise then, Denise Walker. Um, nice to see you, Denise. Good to see you. <laughs> and I know that you were in the discussion about the recovery plan, as I mentioned earlier, but just in terms of the issues that you're being approached with by your clients at Glenville Walker, what are the sort of issues that are being raised with you where they're seeking your advice, Denise? Um, clients yet haven't started to get into the area where they're feeling that their businesses are in trouble uh, or, or actively seeking advice in relation to the businesses being in trouble. And I do think that there will be a period uh, in the next phase where that will become increasingly the pattern. Um, but up to now, they're getting into contract disputes 
and a lot of contract disputes and people are wanting to get out of contracts and people are wanting to enforce contracts against one another so there's a load of commercial disputes going on at the moment and it's a bit like the wild west and i read an article in the gazette uh, the other day that said effectively that's happening all over the place so you know there's a lot of semi-litigious work at the moment so because I'm not a litigator, I'm, I'm wandering into the areas of, I mean, I, I'm a contract lawyer, so I'm, I'm constantly looking at contracts and drafting contracts. So they're asking for your advice on how can we get out of this? How can we change that? Does that affect us anymore? It's really interesting because it's different thinking. You know, you, you don't normally get so many challenges going on. Mm. Uh, and uh, do you think that's going to just increase over the next few months, Denise? Is that going to be an area you think that's going to be focused on? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely will increase over the next months. And there's a lot of people bringing or trying to bring claims against their insurers for, you know, lack of support and, you know, should I be covered for a pandemic and, and business interruption and all of that kind of thing. And there's two trains of thought on that, you know, did insurers ever really intend to cover pandemics and whatever. But yeah, I think there will be a lot more of this work probably for the next four to six months, maybe. And I think after that, or, or increasingly from now on, as people come out of uh, uh, mothballing, as I call it, uh, the businesses will find, though some businesses have flown in this period, other businesses, you know, of course, like hospitality and whatever, can't operate fully or properly or, or even at all. But as they come out and even shops and things, they will find, you know, either they're viable, uh, profitability-wise or not. And that's where the Jason and, 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 you know, I do both corporate and insolvency. So that's when we'll get busier on looking at restructuring or, or you know, sadly, insolvency. Uh, um, are there any particular sectors, Denise, that you've been approached by? Um, the sectors that we've been doing a lot of work for, there's quite a few guys out there who do um, restructuring and uh, rescue of businesses. So we've done quite a bit of technology stuff in relation to businesses that have, you know, maybe been uh, tech, uh, digital, digital marketing agencies or whatever where their clients have stopped using them, but they've got basically good and viable businesses. And there've been people sort of mopping up groups of those types of businesses and, and building a, a, you know, a, a larger business on that basis. So we've done quite a lot in, 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 in that side of things. Hospitality, of course, is just gone at the moment. Um, and nobody really knows where that's going. It's going to be the latest out. And, you know, um, things like uh, online businesses that are suppliers of, of, of goods and, um, and equipment and, and things like um, uh, payment arrangements, banking, financial businesses, they're doing quite well at the moment. So those types of entities, really. Okay. Thanks, Denise. Again, we, we'll come back to you later. Other points, I'm sure there'll be some questions around what you've said as well. Um, Keith Tully now, I'll bring into the conversation Keith from Begley's Trainer. Good to see you. Yeah, nice to see you, Frank. Yeah, and I think you've got one of, one of your colleagues with you today as well, Grace, Jason. Uh, Hi, so yeah. Nice to see you, Jason. So I'll, I'll fire nice. a couple of questions at you, and which, whichever one <laughs> feels more able to, to take it, then feel free. Um, but obviously, we are going to see some businesses that are being challenged at the moment. And as furlough starts to come to an end, some of the issues that Victoria and, uh, and Denise are, are, have already raised uh, will become more apparent. Uh, what should businesses be thinking about right now, guys, if they do feel as though 
uh, they're in a bit of trouble even if they've had you know the loans that are available to them they may have had rate relief um, but they will be doing projections and I'm guessing within the next month or so there's a lot of companies and business owners who are going to sadly be sitting down and, and deciding actually it's time for us to, to close the doors what are the what's the sort of advice that you're giving people like that at the moment Keith? Yeah, um, I mean, most of the stuff that we're doing at the moment, Frank, we're doing a lot of um, business reviews, you know, looking at owners of businesses are coming to us, asking us to give them, you know, um, an impartial view on the solvency of their business um, to look at, you know, where they're actually standing at this moment in time, what the loans that they've obtained, the grants, et cetera, mean to them moving forward. Um, and rather than actually entering into any formal or panicking and going into any uh, formal insolvency processes it's a case of doing a lot of you know work reviewing those businesses like you say i think that it's sort of hitting home to some businesses now obviously it's great to see the economy starting up again you know the high street opening on on monday i think it was is great even though i wasn't one of the hundreds of people queuing up outside the primark I, was, I think my alarm clock didn't go off on time for that but um i'm sure my wife probably was but uh, yeah it's lovely to see um but i think the reality is once people start getting back to some form of normality just real hard decisions have to be made about business and the viability of businesses and obviously jason and i you know we're available to talk to local business owners to give them some sort of reassurance, to tell them the options, to warn them about pitfalls, you know, telling them what other businesses are encountering at this moment in time. And hopefully, you know, if they seek the advice early, there's ways of, of saving businesses. And also, if you can't save businesses, coming up with solutions and plans so that those businesses are moving forward, there's employment, people's, people's employment can be protected. So, yeah, the main thing I would say and stress in all of this is speak to people like ourselves as early as you possibly can just to, you know, chew the fat and, and understand what, what the options are out there for you. Mm. And one of the other points that has been raised by a few people now who are facing that dilemma, Keith, uh, either you or Jason, obviously, to answer this, but where Seabills loans have been taken out, um, obviously they were uh, announced with a bit of a fanfare from the government suggesting that that was uh, money without any sort of personal impact to directors. So if a director has taken a loan of £20,000, let's say, uh, and they're looking at that now and thinking, actually, it's going to be really difficult for me to pay this back, what liabilities do those guys have? I think I'll answer that, Keith, if, you, if you're happy for me to. Um, they, obviously, on the face of it, they haven't got any personal uh, liability to it uh, on, on, on application for that loan. But obviously, the, the key is, is what you do with that money once you've got it. Um, look, looking into you know, um, where, where you've spent it and making it work for you, not, not, you know, not rushing into, uh, into spending it, um, trying to plan making it go as far as you can because it's not there's, there's not just today there's next week there's next month that you've got to plan for um so as far as personal liability even though wrongful trading is, is being relaxed and there's, there's plenty of other things you know um, you could create preferences by paying the wrong people um so, so it's so it's important again before if you've got any concerns is again he's following Keith's advice is to is to come and speak to people get advice about what you should and shouldn't be doing um, because that helps mitigate uh, potential problems down the line if things don't quite work out and I'm, I'm sure Denise would probably uh, agree with me on that that uh, yeah. there, there's plenty of pitfalls out there for for um, for directors that, to, that don't um, quite get it right. Yeah. 
and I think that's one of the issues, isn't it, at the moment? There's an awful lot of uh, policies being issued by the government, and it seems to be a bit of a movable feast, and it's difficult for businesses to keep track of them. Uh, but I do think some of this laissez-faire attitude around those loans that has been allowed to uh, increase, really, amongst the business community, uh, we need to treat that with uh, a little degree uh, of suspicion, don't we? Because as you say, Jason, there will be ways in which uh, the banks, those people that have lent the money, uh, will still be looking at you as an individual to see if, uh, if as you rightly say, that, that money is being utilised properly. Yeah, I agree. I think it's something, even something as simple as um, not, not receiving the furlough money and not passing it on to the employees. Something as simple as that, you know, he's, he's going to cause them problems. I had a gentleman on the phone yesterday who was in that position asking me whether he should pay the wages or not. Um, and I said, obviously, I can't advise you to yes or no, but I can give you the options. Um, and when we went through the options and he advised me that it was furlough money, then I said, well, I think you've got no option because of what I've read recently is that that could be, and it's a strong word, it's fraudulent. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the simple things can catch people out. I've, I've not even thought of that. Uh, but never mind. I'm, I'm sure it's not too late. Um, let, <laughs> um, ju just before I go into uh, to ask Bill about the, the, the Liverpool recovery plan, there was one other issue, Victoria, I wanted to raise with you because people are now starting to return to um, the offices um, and to work. So what are the... Um, what are the sort of things that we need to be putting in place in our offices to ensure that we're applying the right health and safety standards? Oh. Did you hear me then, Vic? No, sorry, what did you say? <laughs> Shall I just shout? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying, as people are returning to offices now, are there any things that we need to be doing uh, as businesses to ensure that the, that environment is different, safer? What are the sort of things that we should be putting in place to ensure that we're abiding by the new laws and regulations the government have introduced? Uh, well, the answer is yes, you absolutely need to um, make quite a few changes to the office. Uh, we, we've actually um, opened up our Liverpool office now. Uh, the, the reason being, not, not to sort of, um, it, it's voluntary for people to attend the office if they want to, uh, but we did have some genuine concerns around mental health for some of the people that work within the business. Um, so I can obviously talk you through it from a practical perspective as well, because I've actually done it myself now. Uh, it's important, the two metre rule is, is important to consider. So one of the things that we did was take out some of the desks uh, we have a rotor so that people you're only allowed so many people so we have small numbers that are in at any one time because i think what you have to consider is not just your the desks and that situation of the desks but also things like your um toilet facilities your kitchen facilities realistically i mean for us and the size of our kitchen we can only have one sort of person in that that space at any one time so even if from a desk perspective, you may have the ability to have more, more sort of desks in, just consider those communal areas as well, because you, you, know, you can't have people queuing up to, to make their lunch, can you, for a significant amount of time. And obviously all the sort of um, 
the hygiene requirements are there that were there sort of just before the, the lockdown. Um, you have to have a risk assessment and there is a there's a 20 step guide that we've pulled together. So anybody that's on the call hasn't had it, I'm happy to um, share with Helen that can sort of share that with everybody. It's just quite a good practical step for you to consider um, because there's lots of things that you wouldn't have considered. Uh, one of which is obviously the, um, the people that are vulnerable. So I think a lot of the time you will think of the people that are maybe pregnant in your business or of a certain age, but sometimes you're not, you maybe don't know the circumstances of people. You know, you may not know that somebody's got uh, somebody that's at high risk that they live with. So it's important for you to sort of work through that with your team and identify anybody that is sort of in that high risk category because they, they're not going to be able to come into the office. Uh, you have to do a re-induction as well. So I think that's important. And that's come up on quite a few of my calls recently where people... Um, sort of are asking the responsibilities that they have as employers and I really would urge people to make sure that they do that reinduction before people enter back into the building and give them the guidance and support and explain the risk assessment and what they've got to do and also if you're in shared sort of space and you've got you know a, a landlord then you need their risk assessment as well and that needs to be shared with your team so they understand for us say you know we've got a foyer we have um, shared toilets so we need to understand what the expectations are from our landlords and what they've put in place for us as well. So uh, again, you know, I'd do that reduction and I'd also make sure that you do have um, some sort of signed declarations from your team to say that they've read it, um, you know, they haven't got any sort of, they haven't got high temperature or any, any concerns or, you know, of, of any conditions. Uh, also, they know what to do if they do get a high temperature and they know how to conduct themselves in, in the workplace. Okay, thanks Vic. And um, I just want to get into the discussion now in terms of maybe a bit more positivity because all of these things are sounding very challenging for business and uh, we are all trying to face up to this uh, new future with some optimism. And Bill, as I mentioned, you've been sat on the Liverpool Cobra Business Leaders Group it's been some fascinating discussions. I think it's done a great job, actually. Um, but tell us about some of the key points that were taken forward to government and how we're hoping that we can uh, begin to come out of this thing uh, as strong as we possibly can as a city. I'll mute myself, uh, <laughs> which is the most important thing. Uh, I'm actually slowly getting there. I've only been on this thing for about three months, haven't we? <laughs> As I said, right at the beginning of this, uh, before this started, I used to think Zoom was a nice lolly. But, um, yeah. Um, so um, we have been meeting on a daily basis, actually, right at the beginning of this, since um, St. Patrick's Day. So it's 13 weeks today. Yeah. Incredible where that time's gone, isn't it? But uh, a lot has happened and a lot still needs to happen. Uh, just picking up on some of the positive news, just to say that yesterday, as we know, retail reopened in the city centre, which was great to see. Queues at places like Primark. Um, and actually, just as an aside, the queue was longer at Zara than Primark. But the problem with the queue at Zara, everybody was taking stuff back. Uh, <laughs> Primark actually sold things yesterday. And that's the, that's the difference about having an online business as opposed to a high street business that doesn't. 
uh, Primark doesn't have any online presence. But it's good to see it. But um, let's not be lulled into some false sort of optimism because retail came back yesterday and it was great to see some of the stats around footfall. Yesterday, that footfall was 125% higher in Church Street than it was the week before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but still running at 60% below our normal levels of footfall. And that's the key to it. So people are coming back, but people are coming back cautiously. And there is still a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uh, reluctance to come back into the city. And that will only um, hopefully improve over time as, as we maintain the sort of levels of um, contact, maintaining two metres distance, which is always a bit difficult in a fluid high street, but also as those businesses start to open back up again. I heard today that John Lewis is opening up uh, within about 10 days, which is good news. Yeah. So hopefully um, uh, that was, uh, and that's uh, not for general general publication. Of course, everything we say here is just for between us, isn't it? But anyway, it'd be good to see John Lewis back in uh, early July. But the key to us now is getting the rest of the city reopened and particularly our hospitality sector which is we've talked about incessantly on the calls, has been decimated and is in danger of being decimated, particularly some of the moves that the Vic was talking about with furloughing. Uh, furloughing, we know, has been in a major, uh, well, it's been an essential, absolute lifeline to businesses. And when you look at the numbers of people that are furloughed at this moment in time, and uh, if anybody has, not, has done that locally, it's just incredible the amount of, uh, furlough money that has come flowed from the economy and the fact that the government did it very quickly we need to continue to remember that but also the other impact for businesses is that they are in the retail hospitality and leisure sector they're not paying business rates at this moment in time and you know that just happened right at the beginning of this and I often think that that's been a bit downplayed that people say oh, well, nobody's done anything for the government aren't doing enough for business but just removing the business rate liability can I tell you, for a business like Marks and Spencers, just in Liverpool, that's £1.2 million in business rates liability. Significant. The rateable value of the businesses within just the bid areas in the commercial district and the retail and leisure district, the rateable values are just, just slightly under £50 million. So if you think the, rate, the business rate in the pound at the moment is about 51p, that's 25 million pounds in business rates that businesses aren't paying, but government is paying. So we as taxpayers will continue to pay that for some time to come. Um, so that's what we need to get open and we need to get retail, hospitality and leisure open. And uh, part of the work that the recovery plan, because that's what you asked the question about, not a general catch up, but the recovery plan includes uh, Liverpool without walls which is a major element within it. And that's the ability of our restaurants, our hospitality uh, cafes, um, but I'm not even thinking about pubs and events at the moment, because that's a few months down. The, the, um, but those restaurants and cafes to come out onto the streets. And part of that work is working at pace at the moment. It'll be an announcement this week. And you will see Bold Street, um, you will see Bold Street closed. You'll see Castle Street being closed between 11 in the morning and midnight, particularly the section that you see behind me uh, between the junction with Dale Street and Cook Street will be closed so that those businesses can come onto, uh, onto the paved area so Geno's can expand. So all those areas 
restaurants that have pavement cafes can expand so we can start using those businesses and start using those restaurants but you know the one the one marked thing i noticed yesterday and this is where is uh, professional sector needs a lot of support is that high street was busy but i'm saying it was 60% down on normal uh, occupation levels you walked up lord street and turned into castle street and it's a ghost town in the in the commercial district and from the conversations i'm having and i'm sure uh, all the people on this call are echo that is professional businesses aren't talking about getting back to a full roster of staff much before september and even after that, there's still concerns that won't be happening for some time. So the other elements of the um, city recovery plan, which have come into the fore, are clearly it's about getting some of the key uh, developments underway. So there'll be an announcement, and obviously even, even you and I, Frank, aren't included in all of this, um, around uh, Palm Mall and more commercial space opening up in Palm Mall. Uh, around the, the Knowledge Quarter and Upper Central and other of the development sites in the city being fast-tracked forward. And that's what a lot of the recovery plan about, is about that. Linked within that is also about destination marketing and business tourism and subvention because we need to get our arena and convention centre operating. And again, that will only come into being... Um, some well in the second quarter of next year is what the arena convention center are talking about um when we can start having some events and um we won't mention football but um getting fans in the stadium is an important element of our city and that not just the visitor economy but for the, for the health of our cities to get fans back in because those fans particularly uh, the red side of the city <coughs> fly fly in and stay in hotels and that's very important for the visitor economy. Um, obviously, uh, and it's key to we do that. So the recovery plan, and I've talked far too long, hopefully some of that was useful, but uh, recovery plan is with government. It's that governments are being asked to provide Liverpool with a significant chunk of cash, but it's cash that will be returned very quickly in the amount of taxes that will be paid and the amount of jobs that will be created, because that's the underlying uh, element within this because if we don't get our economy moving quickly now and get some key decisions and would you believe the restaurants are supposed to be opening in two weeks time they still haven't had confirmation that that can happen yeah. it's absolutely ludicrous um i think that's yeah, yeah that's right thanks bill and, and yeah come anyway back. happy to answer any questions or anything else you've got in there really that's just a summary of where we're up to i think Cheers, mate. And I think the, the other thing just to point out is that obviously the hospitality sector is massive throughout the UK, but in Liverpool, um, business rates uh, at 49.9% of them come from our hospitality sector. So you can imagine the impact that it's having on the local authorities' coffers, if nothing else, never mind the impact it then has on the wider society and community. I think the other point I'd make in respect of uh, the points that the bills indicated there is that the ask of government our recovery plan i think is the first one that's gone in so yep. we're ahead of the game as far as that's concerned it's something that is being backed by the combined authority as well which is great so they're behind it uh, i think the only um concern that we might have is that some politics might get be, be getting played in the the uh the, 
the corridors of Whitehall and of course Liverpool is not necessarily going to be their priority um, for, for a Conservative government but hopefully we can overcome that because those items that we have put forward do demonstrate and evidence the fact that they'll get a, a good return on that investment. I don't know if you've seen the unemployment figures that have been announced no. today uh, but again there's been a massive spike in this part of the world so it is something that we desperately need to be cracking on with. This just, just before I get into the general conversation, a couple of questions that uh, people have put onto the group chat there. Um, but I'm not sure if anybody can pick this up. Keith uh, or Jason may be able to help. We, we have had uh, a lot of relaxation around tax. The HMRC uh, have not been collecting VAT, national insurance contributions, of course. At some point, is that going to be um, something that we are going to be liable to pay? It, or is that a holiday and we can forget about it? What's the, the answer to that question, guys, if you know? Well, I think it's, it's, it's going to have to be paid at some point, isn't it? It's, it's like all, all, if we refer to it all as pan debt, you know, it's, it's all built up as, as, a, as, as one thing. And at some point, it's going, to, it's going to need paying. The loans are going to need repaying at some point next year. Um, the... You know, the, the rates may come back online at some point. Um, certainly HMRC have deferred some till next year. Um, but the, it depends what the economy looks like by then. They may defer it a little more. But at some point, uh, we are going to have to go into uh, recovery mode, aren't we? Um, we've got to pay for public services and things like that. So it's, um, it, we will need repaying at some point. Yeah, I just think, can I just add on that? I think that it'll be difficult for HMRC, uh, you know, to enforce um, this because it'll be that many businesses they're in the same boat probably and you know for them to pursue them for monies and you know it'll be, it'll be in a position where you know if they do that that the perception that that, that will that will create out there and who, who they're going for and who they're not going for so it's going to be very hard to actually get back to the status quo i think i think there'll be a lot of you know arrangements being made with hmrc um a lot, a lot longer than what previously you, you would have got, you know, time-wise with them. Yeah, I think with the financial crisis, Keith, I think we came in 2008, they obviously they did they did defer a lot. They, you know, they, are, they are there to be contacted and to, to be spoken to, and, and hopefully they will be um, sympathetic to the position of a lot of businesses and, work, and will work with them. But obviously, if, if any businesses are struggling, then there's people like ourselves out there that can add to that, and hopefully our, our, our advice can then... Um, hopefully secure um, a time to pay arrangement or things like company voluntary arrangements and things like that if, if businesses really are struggling to uh, to make ends meet and just just there's a good business there it just needs just needs you know some help to to get it from where it is and, and back on its feet and and hopefully into a better position on the other side of that it might mean some debt forgiveness it might mean some time to pay but uh, you know, we were certainly there to look at anything and everything mm. and help where we can yeah okay thanks guys uh, Dawn, I know you had a question to, to ask. Do you want to come in? Yeah, it was um, it was around the force majeure in contracts. Um, we, on one side of my business, we have a training side um, and we are going to be closing that side of the business. Um, but this, I believe, is relevant to a lot of other training businesses out there as well at the moment because they can't claim any ESFA funding or other funding. And in the contracts is the force majeure clause. Um, and I just wanted to ask from a legal side of things, is that being played? Can it be used in, in a cancellation of a contract? Um, because is COVID deemed as a force majeure? 
Okay, uh, shall I pick that one up? Yeah, please, Denise. Okay. Um, force majeure under English law is, is, is different to European law because in, in Europe there are civil codes that decree what force majeure is. So your contract that has a force majeure clause in it, that clause you need to read it carefully because the clause itself will contain detail of the events that could be considered to be force majeure. And if they're not listed in that contract, you're in a difficult position if you want to claim force majeure. And force majeure is, you know, uh, where somebody wants to rely on a non-performance uh, of their own, sorry, circumstances that, that explain their own non-performance in a contract. So you need to look carefully at the wording in the clause and you need to use that wording if you can to justify your position. And COVID would be um, a force majeure event in certain circumstances, but not all. So for example, if you said, we can't deliver products on time, we can't deliver these products because all our staff are off ill, that wouldn't necessarily be a force majeure um, because you could be told, well, you should have got staff elsewhere, you should have spent more money delivering, you should have got, got around it. But you know, some, some contracts will have pandemics, well, pandemic is, is maybe a relatively new, uh, newer word. Some contracts will cover that, but the large majority of contracts don't because nobody ever envisaged that things would get this bad. But if you want to say, I can't perform this contract, you need to look at the context of the clause and see if you can use anything to help yourself and see if there's any direct relationship between what's happened to you and COVID that you can draw a line through and say, that's why I can't do it. I don't know if that helps you at all. It does, Denise, thank you for that. I think I raised the point is I, I do have a solicitor that we're working closely with at the moment looking at that. But I raised the point more because there could be other businesses out there looking, thinking yeah. they've got a clause, but actually they may not be able to use it. Yeah. I think we can in our one, so fortunately I think we can. Good. Um, but it. I'm not sure if other people can. It'll be case by case basis. Yeah. 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 Uh, Julie, I know you had a question for Victoria. Hi guys, yes I did, it was about, um, obviously you talked about furlough and this part time etc, but what about somebody, you mentioned the 10th of June of the cut-off cut date, what about somebody that's on maternity at the moment, so um, due to go back in August normally, um, and presumably they've not been put onto this on the 10th of June because they're still on maternity, how does that work? So they have actually um, been more flexible in that regard. So anybody that's got some family-related reason, at the, so even maternity being at perfect, you know, paternity, parental leave, and they haven't been furloughed yet, you will be able to be furloughed. So you can come back as long as you know, in October, you'd be able to be furloughed. Uh, right, okay, that, that's fine, that's fine. Yeah, there's just a couple of people that I know that are on maternity at the moment and we've all been talking about it and thinking, how on earth does this work? Because nobody obviously seems to know. No, no. Yeah, well, HMRC provided the guidance on, on Friday, so it's in black and white now, so, so don't Brilliant. worry, you'll be able to payload. That's great, thank you. Okay, thank no you. Can I just pick up on the point that Bill made early in respect of professional services because few people obviously on the call and um, Julie's been surprisingly quiet up until this point. Julie knows <laughs> that. Um, and uh, 
I just wanted to to really ask you and Denise. Um, you know, there will be some uh, parts of of the law that are going to be busy at the moment. Um, I know Pauline McNamara has never been busier. She's a family lawyer, of course. Uh, so they've had lots of issues to deal with, and I'm sure there's more to come. Uh, so, Julie, what do you think, generally speaking, in terms of uh, the solicitor's profession and wider professional services, really? I've been having this debate with somebody else. It's um, an agree. Denise sort of summed it up. Lots of, I won't repeat, lots of contract disputes. Our litigators are busy. Um, property has gone really quiet. I don't know about you, Denise, but it, people who were in the process of signing things are either just not prepared to take the risk or they're waiting for the market to change. I think they want to, you know, they think they can do better deals. Um, the, I think a lot of people, strangely enough, the a lot of people in professional services that I've spoken to, whether it be um, lawyers or accountants, are now saying they do think they won't need these big offices that they've got. Um, a lot of people are looking at maybe changing the way they work permanently um, because they now realise that they can be productive and they can do it. So that's going on. Um, there are, you know, there's a lot, lots of negative stories about there with all the clients, with all their challenges. And um, particularly interested, Jason, what you're saying about the, you know, what people are doing with this money, it worries me. You know, they're sort of like, yeah, hey, I'm going to apply for that even if I don't need it, I'm going to do this. And that's going to catch up with them at some stage that worries me um for a lot of them and um but there are also positive stories for adaptable clients i think adaptable is the keyword you know people who are be making engineer we've got a few engineering clients who have adapted to making ppe and this you know the, the safety equipment and they're doing really well and have been busy um supply chains are difficult people contracting with the nhs having problems um it's hard to predict i think it will change the way we work though i don't i don't know what denise's thoughts are on that but i do think from from the the professions and just going into the city center and all of that i think we you know our clients are now happy with seeing us in this environment and knowing that we're doing what we do so um it's unpredictable yeah it is, it's interesting isn't it how much of this is going to become the new normal going forward i'll bring james in in a second because i think there's probably a slightly different perspective from um, creative agencies um, but Denise what, what's your feeling because you've you got great offices down there in, uh, yeah. in Brunswick. Um, I think it'll help us grow um, without having to get bigger office space I think that people will work more from home or you know so many days in so many days away and we've got one young uh, lawyer who lives around Manchester and so she was doing a terrible trek to get through. But we now realise that she can do her job quite effectively with some days at home. Uh, for me, though, I am pushing to go back to work because um, I don't know, I, I live on my instincts. And my instinct about a week ago was we need to get back into the office. Um, we've been at home since the 17th of March and it's worked perfectly and all the technology and everything because we were a youngish business so we had all the new technology but um, I think it is slightly harder to work especially when you're doing transactional work and you've got to talk to all your counterparts and you've got to phone them up every time or go on Skype and you're trying to compare documents and talk to people and you can't do it as easily it takes you longer so my gut reaction was I think that this, some of our business clients would like to see us back in 
And I, I had heard what Bill had heard, which is September, October onwards. And we were actually talking about August and what we've done is we've brought it forward. So we're going to be in early July because I just don't want to end up in a situation where, and you know, we are busy. I, I don't want to end up in a situation where we almost get forgotten about. I think you have to have some office presence, but I agree with Julie that it will change for a lot of large law firms. I'm pretty sure it'll change for them. Thank you. Thanks, Denise. James, as I say, I think maybe a slightly different perspective from the likes of Agent because one of the great things of being a creative agency is getting people together and throwing ideas in a hat and so on. I, I don't know how hard you found that as, as, as a group of people, but certainly in my business as well, you know, that's something that, that we like to do, get people in a room and get people throwing ideas at each other. It seems to me that that's easier when you're face to face than it is on a Zoom call. Yeah, and I think in our industry, in our in our case, everything we do is is collaborate revolves around collaboration with the clients, and it's getting around a table and and writing things on the wall and stuff like that, and, and putting clients on the spot. It's 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 definitely not as easy over Zoom. And um, it's also the other things in the office, like walking past someone's screen, going, "Oh, I don't think that works," and they won't like that, and, and doing stuff like that, or overhearing something and say especially me being out and about or, or speaking to people, if I overhear something in the office, I go, oh, no, no, I, I've, I've got an update on that. I heard it last week. That So in terms of working from home, again, we, we did the same. It was the 16th of March we were working from home and it was you know seamless. Well, the server was working and, and the client work was, was, wasn't halted at all. But it's the communication, the culture of agent that makes us work better. So... Although working from home has been successful, it, it's definitely not going to be normal for us. I think for me, um, like in bids and stuff like that, I probably will ask to work from home more often. Now we've got the, the, the full suite on the server and access to all the files. But again, it's that going over to someone's desk going, remember this project? What was the results? Can you show us the report? Rather than having a 20-minute Zoom call. So yeah. I definitely think, and externally, we, we have a lot of our clients who are in Liverpool. So those pain in the arse meetings to you know take a full day for an hour and a half meeting i think those will be you know some of them will definitely be over zoom now and it'll help us deliver projects more effectively but again like the, the brands and the websites and the, the generation of ideas that will always be face to face yeah uh, i think it's it's going to be a bit of a mixed bag isn't it and i think uh, as denise has indicated there early it's going to be interesting to see as businesses grow whether they simply adopt a more flexible uh, office working arrangement and rotor rather than going and getting bigger and bigger offices as, as we go forward. And of course, that's going to impact on the city in terms of uh, its rate. Uh, and then, of course, you know, getting footfall in, which is so important to those hospitality businesses that we've talked about earlier. Um, the, the other thing I just wanted to touch on because it's been a cause of much discussion and debate within the business leaders group as well as transport and how people get about. And um, my view of this, which you can happily disagree with if you wish, is that in the middle of a pandemic when lots of people are, are furloughed and we've also had uh, a fantastic period of weather, then the idea of people getting on bikes uh, is quite a positive one and you can imagine uh, the city being full of cyclists but I uh, contend that on a wet and windy Wednesday in February uh, when you're asking people to go home on a bike at four o'clock and it's dark 
it's not going to be necessarily seen as the greatest thing in the world to do. Now, I may sound flippant in making that point, but there is a serious point behind it because cities, not just ours, are about to embark on a multi-million pound investment into cycle lanes. And I've got this awful feeling that in a couple of years' time, they're going to be seen as white elephants. But that might be me. Uh, and that might just be me being a, a very traditional motorist uh, who doesn't really want to get out of his car. Um, so I'd be interested to, to get people's views on that. And, and I'm not throwing you under the bus, forgive the pun, Melanie, but I know that you've been sat there patiently. Uh, I just wonder, in terms of getting in and around, in, out and around town, uh, what your preferred mode of transport is? My, uh, sorry, so you're asking me, is that correct? Yeah, I just wondered what you thought about, you know, transport going forward, whether you're more likely to jump on a bus or get a bike or whatever it might be. Yeah, I actually agree with what you're saying. I think we're, we've obviously been blessed with amazing weather, so it's it's a great idea. Um, I'm actually based in Rill right now, so sunny Rill, um, and that's a lovely idea, but I can imagine, you know, in the city, um, I actually just got back from Chicago, um, you know, living there for a few years, and I can imagine in the city that's just not going to work I, I you know and and i can imagine that you know the amount of investment um you know to take you, you know and narrow the roads i mean the you know tra i can imagine traffic in liverpool's already horrendous and then you're sort of narrowing the roads and i i just can't see that working especially in big cities i i think it's going to be difficult i know that uh, bill is keen to to get some more road closures in Liverpool. So no doubt we're going to be having a battle in the future on that. Uh, but the, the, the other positive point though, Bill, is that where you've got pedestrianisation, as you say, certainly in this shorter per period of time, at least, we will be able to get our restaurateurs back in business quickly, won't we? Yeah, I think it's key. And don't forget, we've got to have a mature conversation about our cities. Uh, Liverpool has committed to being carbon zero by 2030, which is 10 years time. Uh, fossil fuel is dying out, so we need to be moving away from uh, the fact that everybody sits in their own car in queues. We know all of that. And I'm, I must admit, I'm probably one of the last to get out of a car, but um, mine's been sat there for three months. I haven't filled up since March. I've used half a tank of diesel, and it's uh, apparently it's, it's a pound a litre at the moment, is it? I, I wouldn't have a clue and you know I, have, I haven't really missed it and what we need to is a proper conversation about public transport and getting our proper but wouldn't it be great to have a tram from the south end of the city in, into town but our city centre needs traffic shifting out of it because it, it is actually a walkable city centre so you can walk from the top of Old Hall Street by the Razazan to the Baltic in 15 minutes uh, if you put your mind to it quick walk through Liverpool and you can do it so we need to be having those serious conversations and perhaps downtown's the organization to lead it Frank you yeah. can lead it by example so leave your gas guzzler behind get be the electric scooter out it won't be what you and Joe Anderson want to hear at the moment I'm afraid As I said, listen a 15 minute walk in the middle of June is great it's good um, in winter, Frank. You need to get exercise. A Fifteen-minute walk in in the middle of bloody January when it's pissing down is <laughs> mentally. We, we need to get this, the city healthy, Frank. 
Yeah, you need to get some reinforced umbrellas for the wind at uh, Wales around Liverpool as well. Do you One remember? of the things you got, you were born with a waterproof skin. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm suggesting you take your clothes off and run around town, Frank. <laughs> no, well, 15 minutes is it? Is it really quick? You must have good rollerblades, Bill. <laughs> I could just, why do you just, you could just walk. No high heels. Day. Yeah, definitely no high heels. Mm. You can't do it in high heels, Bill. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, sorry about that. Yeah, well, Bill knows that. But I think, it's, um, I think you know, there is going to be a big debate going forward, honestly. Yeah, massive debate, Frank. And that, that's the type of conversations we need. It's the city, because what is the city going to look like uh, in 20 years, 30 years' time? And, I tra you know, if we did have a modern tram, as they have in that uh, city down the road, then it, it might be an easier discussion to have. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're the they've got, they've got modern tram in every city apart from Liverpool. Yeah, Leeds haven't. Nottingham. Yeah. Nottingham, Birmingham have now. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, but that's what we need, modern transport. Yeah. Uh, are there any other questions before we, we start to wrap today's session up or any other points that uh, any of the panellists or anyone else, in fact, want to make today? Have we stunned you all into silence? I'm thinking... I suppose just as, as a piece of information, and, and I know we're not here to sell ourselves, but I, I have got a good news story to end on. Um, we've recently, whilst we've had to make redundancies on one side of the business, we've actually taken on seven new staff on the other side and are just about to take on another seven new staff. Right. So, right. So, and we support businesses with funding, so with R&D credits. And during this period alone, we've, we've got back about three million pounds for businesses on R&D. So there is a positive and, you know, whilst we've got the other side where unfortunately we're having to make redundancies, there is a positive where we're helping businesses on the other side. It's excellent. And I think there's been a lot of stories, haven't there? I'm sure we've all come across them where businesses have adapted, been a bit more flexible, started to deliver different products. Uh, and that's going to see them through in the future. And equally, you know, an awful lot of business failures that happen over the next few months are going to be put down, of course, to COVID-19. Uh, but we're all aware of the fact that there were businesses struggling prior to the lockdown. Uh, and it's just simply going to be used, I suppose, for everyone now as the excuse, well, the business couldn't cope with it. Um, hopefully, most of them will get through. As I say, my biggest concern, uh, and I know it's the city's biggest concern, is that hospitality sector, the visitor economy. That's just going to be so important to try and get back to some sort of normality as quickly as possible. Um, and again, I think Denise used the phrase supply chain. You can imagine, Denise, can't you, the number of people that are employed um, directly or indirectly by those big restaurants, hotels, in services such as legal, but also... Uh, outsourced to HR and then you've got PR companies and agencies such as James's who do an awful lot of work for that so really important that, that we do our bit to get uh, to get that sector back up and running